Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and back talking the intricacies and depths of this transfer window as it continues to delight and surprise us. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Santai. Hey mate, I've got an ice pack on my head and I'm ready to go. Yeah, you, you do look quite interesting uh, on, mm. on our video version of this, but I imagine that that's not going to quite transcribe for audio, although it probably will keep you talking around. Uh, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. Yeah, I've got the Man United Palace game on. It's just about to start. So, um, yeah, I've got, got that to watch throughout the duration of this of this recording. So that should keep me entertained if Sam's ranking doesn't. So <laughs> please, got, please do actually pay attention. Got, got, good, yeah. got good backup entertainment ready. Yeah, well, I mean, in this heat, in this heat, it's very hard to can you know to can concentrate on one thing for for any sort of length of time. I just find it really funny that Man United are on in pre-season and it looks absolutely freezing. Like everyone else is roasting and preparing for a season where like it might be like thirty degrees on the first day of the Premier League season, and everyone's wearing coats and scarves, and it's like this maybe isn't the best prep uh, for for the season. Good prep for winter though, isn't it? Good prep for winter. Good prep for winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there'll also be a World Cup. Ten Hag is playing four D chess. They'll be ready for the World Cup. They'll be ready for the World Cup, but not the Premier League. So that's not ideal either. Um, No, it's not maybe the uh, the ideal. Anyway, I'll keep you updated. Any goals? I'll give you a shout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Man United having a great preseason, so uh, we can't really argue with that. Um, let's start, though, with things we love. And Dean, you're going to kick us off this week. Yeah, okay, I'll do a bit of work before the game starts. Um, the thing I, I, I love is that, like, obviously, it's been a ridiculous transfer window already, um, but there are still some really big ones yet to happen. And, you know, just to keep it brief, like, things to look out for. There are live pursuits, I guess, right now of, of Kunde, Kimpembe. De Jong, Skimaka, Lingard, Corne, Brozier. Um, and then there are other players still waiting to be signed, still waiting to be chased, if you like. Uh, Alex Isak, Jonathan David, Ibrahim, Sing- Ibrahim Sing- Sangare, Yuri Elements, Luis Suarez even, Cesc Fabregas. Do you see those two training together? Two 35-year-olds looking for a new club, training together. I was like, Isn't Cesc Fabregas going to Como? That man is living the most like blessed life. Yeah, that's what he's, he's lived in London, Barcelona. He's just had a wonderful, wonderful career. And now he's just going to bop off to Lake Como to end his end his time. Monaco. He's had such a you know an upmarket life in terms oh, of mate. in terms of football. Clubs. I was looking at it. I was like, if you're a club who's got a few quid to spare at the moment, just do the double signing of Suarez and Fabregas. Just do it. Like it. it Oh, there'll be flashes of amazing moments. It might not work out long term. Uh, there's still Nicolas Pepe needs to be chased. Adama Traore needs a new club. Like there's a market out there full of potential signings that could be really good fits for the right team. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we think that the main business is is getting done. But no, there's still like five, six weeks left and some big names out there. So, yeah, I'm excited. There's still a lot of work to be done. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because, you know, there's these kind of two rushes in the transfer one window. One is to get stuff done before the season begins. And then there's always this just chaotic rush towards the deadline. Now, yeah. obviously, we will we'll focus on that as, as and when it comes around. But it does feel like there's this kind of weird breathe, breather in the middle. Just as the season gets off and everyone starts to think about, OK, 
you know, how do we set up? And we kind of plan for the last two weeks of the window and be like, okay, we understand exactly what we need now, what still needs to come in. Um, but at this point, we're, we're still kind of in, the, in that first rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, there's a lot of players out there. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a lot of incomings at Barcelona, haven't we? And I'd imagine there's still a lot of outgoings to go there. You're looking at, you know, Ricky Pooj, Mingeza, Titi probably. There's a lot of players here yet? in the mix. Yeah, Neto might leave. You know, there's, there's a lot going on that you, you can think about and think, okay, maybe these things don't happen until a little bit later on in the window. But there's a lot of players there who are going to be like, mm, I'm not going to get a game here. I don't think might have to might have to think about switching on for a little while. Mm. So yeah, I agree. It's um, it is that kind of we we kind of assume the transfer window ends sometimes when when the season begins, but it doesn't. And mm. there's a lot going on. The other thing I like, by the way, and love is is this Man United away kit that they're wearing. Actually, I like both these kits. Palace home kit. This this. Uh, red and blue scribbles. I, li- I like that. I like the scribbling. Lovely. Both Palace's kits are really nice, actually. Yeah, I like that really, a lot. Really nice. And then this United Away kit is like proper throwback stuff, and I really like that too. So, yeah, this this um, this game is, is off to a good start. They're both wearing good kits. I think there's a gibberish in there somewhere about <laughs> the three best kits uh, released this summer, but probably not till uh, everybody has released their Yeah, kits. why do Fulham so we'll, uh, never we'll... release their kits early? Why I does this know. always, always happen? It's so annoying. It does. I don't want to talk about it. It genuinely upsets me. No matter me who the manufacturer is, no matter if you've got a shirt sponsor already in place, they like release the shirt about two days before the season starts. That is last, gibberish. Last time Fulham were in the Premier League, we released our kit the morning of our first game. <laughs> That's madness. It's so nuts. Yeah, yeah. Really uh, who knows? I know there was. I know that was a bit of a you know truncated uh, summer and all sorts. Yeah. But still, like, oh, but come on, it, like the amount of people out there that just want to go to the first home game in the in new shirt. shirt. Yeah, it's like a ritual for some people, and you're basically making them go to the mega store at eleven in the morning. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the good news about that is that Fulham's home, Fulham's mega store is in the stadium. Yeah, so okay, they good. can actually just go to the game. And there's not much yeah. mega about it either. It's just a shop. Yeah. Yeah, it just mean you have to it's go like a Fulham shop. Yeah, you have to go topless. Yeah. To yeah. be fair, in this heat, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining, <laughs> do they? Okay, let's move on and let's let's talk about good fits because I want to talk about Paolo Dybala. Now we've talked about Paolo Dybala a lot over on Patreon, and we didn't this week because we've been kind of intrigued by his moves throughout this summer. And you've said Roma all inter- along. You've said Roma all along. I said Roma and Napoli. They were the two places that I said Dybala would really fit. And it now does look like he's going to be joining Jose Mourinho at Roma. I just really like this. I think as a fit, it works. Dybala in one of those two roles off a striker, you know, in this kind of floating zones where we saw Pellegrini and Zaniolo play. Now, it's still yet to be cleared up whether Zaniolo is going to be a Roma player next season. But in Paolo Dybala, they have, yes, an injury prone, but a genuine top quality player. Um, coming into this mix and into this rotation, I think it's just a really, really lovely bit of business. Um, it fits with with Tammy and, and with Zaniolo and Pellegrini can drop into that midfield too a little bit deeper. You know, it gives Mourinho the options to change up this system a little bit and, and work with it. But ultimately, he's gone to a place where he actually fits within the structure of a team. And I think that this is so important for Paolo Dybala. We've seen these kind of struggles throughout the years of kind of working out what exactly Paolo Dybala is. Is he a second striker? Is he a centre forward? Is he a 10? Is he a wide man? We've pretty much ruled the last one out. We we don't think that Paolo Dybala is a winger. Mm -hmm. So that leaves very few clubs because 10s are, relatively speaking, kind of going out of fashion. Roma are one of you know, a few clubs, there obviously are some, who play with a dedicated kind of player behind the striker or two in, in this case. And I do think that, you know, this is so important for him as a move because we've seen Paolo Dybala kind of, 
sort of be the man for uh, such a long time to go in somewhere where he's actually going to fit in the structure I think is massive um, and I think that not only is this a brilliant move for Roma and um, bringing a player of, of Dybala's quality but also a brilliant move for him because it gives him that platform to kind of re- remind everyone just how brilliant he is and yes of course so much of this you know, it's conducive on the fact that he's going to have to stay fit. And that's been easier said than done for Paolo Dybala. But I'm just really pleased that he's gone somewhere where it makes sense in a footballing kind of sense um, for him to to fit within. And I suppose the next big question is whether he is going to go and take this number 10 shirt mm. at Roma. Totti came out before the summer, before these links were even particularly concrete and said, if Dybala came, I'd give him the 10 shirt immediately. Um, but there's also this kind of question of whether he'll go back to that 21 shirt. I've seen there's a, a lot. Of, I've seen a report yeah. that says he's taking 21. Matic has yeah. changed his number. To six. So I, I saw this too, but I, I, I'm still kind of... Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm yet to believe it. I, I think that there will be a... Totti will have a say, obviously, in terms of, of that shirt. And there's a lot of pressure on taking that shirt as well. If he does want the 21, don't hugely blame him. But it would be very interesting that, you know, the two clubs I said he fitted best in, <laughs> Napoli and Roma, the two clubs with the 10 shirt is a little bit off the table. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that was that was one to, to keep an eye on. But yeah, as a fit, I'm, I'm really pleased that this is what Dybala's done, Sam. It's interesting that, you know, he, obviously he, you're right, he is going to a place where he has a really, really nice fit. And he replaces a man on paper, Henrik Mkhitaryan, who moves to a club where I actually don't, just don't know where he fits. Like, into a well-stocked for strikers and support strikers. And they play a midfield three with, you know, a six and two eights behind two strikers. They don't, they don't really, well, they definitely don't play wingers, but they also kind of don't play a 10 because it's more of a support striker. And they've got like three of them. And one of them's Lautaro, who is like the golden boy there. So what's, <laughs> Rome, what are they doing? I, I find myself looking at the Dybala move and thinking, yeah, you've, you've all thought it through brilliantly. And the man he's replacing, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. It's really weird. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those. Look, we did see Mkhitaryan play as an eight occasionally, and you know, including in the Europa Conference League final, where we kind of assumed it was going to be Pellegrini in the midfield, and it was actually Mkhitaryan who played a little bit deeper and played within that that midfield too. Now he got injured pretty quickly, so the thing changed up. But that's where he started the game, and I do wonder if there's a, a space for him there, or if he's going to have to play off the striker. But it's definitely one to keep an eye on to see how how he fits in. We didn't think that. You know, Inter we're gonna we're gonna really utilize Christian Eriksen in in that way under Conte, and they have kept you know genuinely the same structure, not not completely, but the structure has remained similar. Um, and Eriksen forced his way into that side and made himself kind of indispensable towards the end of that campaign under Conte. So it's gonna be gonna be intriguing to see how it pans out. But I I do think that Mkhitaryan is a good enough player to to push his way into this team and and, and mix it up. So. It's going to be one to one for us to one to us to monitor, I would say, um, across the course at the start of the season. But Paolo Dybala at Rome in the Eternal City, there's a lot of romance going on here, and I, I am one all for it um, as usual, yeah. as usual. Right after the break, we are going to be doing our main ranking. Sam is going to be talking transfers. It's all very exciting. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And Sam, you've got some burning questions ahead of this new season, mostly related to teams and their transfer business. But I'm going to hand over the reins and off you go. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have these these questions um, and were it not for the transfer business that the, the clubs in question have done. So obviously, with every move you make in the market, every deal that you strike, it affects not just you, but the, it has a ripple effect on others in, in the team that you're heading to. And 
These teams in particular that I've picked out have made some big signings or are on the verge of doing so. And it leaves question marks over others around them and the teams that they're joining. And I just thought we'd have a chat about those today. I want to start at number three with Lissandra Martinez moving to Manchester United and what that means for those in the defensive line and in midfield for United already there. So first of all, there's been this question for the last month back when he was uh, linked to Arsenal and then latterly United, where will he play? We know that he's versatile and he can, of course, impact in different positions if required. But we've also now had some pretty firm quotes from Eric Ten Hag suggesting that Lissandro Martinez is being bought as a centre-back. And versatility is good, but obviously you need a clear plan and a clear strategy in terms of how you are placing your best players and your most expensive players into the team. So I'm glad that he's kind of got ahead of that and gone, this is what I'm doing with this guy. And he's not brought him in and gone, well, you know, we could, yeah, we could, we could move him here, we could go here. Alessandro Martinez is going to play centre-back and specifically left centre-back. He's left-footed. Again, Ten Hag has pointed to this and said that his left foot is really useful in build-up and it's only really useful on the left-hand side. So, presuming he uses a 4-2-3-1, which we've seen very solidly through pre-season, the game that Dean is watching right now, I assume, is a 4-2-3-1. The other two have, in fact, Eric Ten Hag has used, I think, pretty much nine of the same players every single time in pre-season. He's been very consistent with the setup. And it means that if Lissandro Martinez is slotting in at left centre-back, what happens to the others? So by others, I mean Maguire, Varane, Lindelof. Dean, Maguire is playing right centre-back in the game you're watching, I hope. Yeah, he is. He's playing right and then Lindelof's the left-sided centre-back, yeah. Yeah, so Lindelof played left with Varane in the first one. Maguire then played on the right, Lindelof left on the on the second one. Same thing again. Varane is currently injured uh, for this third game. But the fact that Maguire is now taking in multiple games at right centre-back and the fact that he's been he's retained his captaincy speaks volumes, I think. He's being moved. I don't remember. I honestly can't remember the last time Maguire played right centre back. No, I mean you it guys looks. I'll be. Out. I'll be honest. Like when they start, because I haven't watched the first two games properly. I've just watched little little highlights, and when and when they lined up, I was like, this looks really odd. Maguire on that side, like it's just. Mm. He mm. played left for Leicester. I think he played left for Hull. You know, I know it was a bit of back three, but yeah. I don't remember him on the right for Hull. Which means we're going back sort of somewhere between five and eight years before Maguire may have been on the right-hand side. Now, have he ever played there for England? I don't think so. No. He's in the middle, doesn't he? He plays in the middle or on the left. Yeah, true. So yeah. This, is, this is a big difference. And of course, the other question is, what happens to Raphael Varane? You know, whose biggest enemy is his own body at this point. He's too brittle. He can't necessarily hold down a, a spot in the side. And specifically with regards to Ten Hag, you know, Varane's never been a particularly good passer. It's something we very fairly called out when he signed. Great in a number of ways, but a bit injury prone and not very enterprising on the ball. Lindelof's a good passer, but he looks like he's clearly not the priority if he's being shifted across left and right to make room for the others. Mm. And Eric Bailly, obviously, is just probably too chaotic for Eric Ten Hag, I think. Um, But we're on on the verge of a a pretty monumental shift here. For the first time in at least five years, if not six, seven, eight, Harry Maguire is going to play right centre-back or he's going to be dropped (laughs) because Varane might come in and play some games. So what happens? Mm, I can't see him being. I mean, he's a captain, and he's. It seems like Ten Hag's pretty firm with that. Like his comments have all been, been backing him up on that. I think the one thing for sure is that, like, whereby under the past couple of managers, his 
his shirt's been reasonably safe most of the time. That's not going to be the case anymore. I think Ten Hag will be a bit more ruthless about that and he'll feel that he's going to have other leaders in the team, especially if they do sign De Jong, um, especially if he's got Lissandro Martinez. He's somebody who's... Lissandro Martinez's voice in that team is going to be important because we've said before, like he understands what Ten Hag's actually trying to do and that's why he wants him there. Um, so... It might be that his shirt's not as safe for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very weird. I mean, just watching United, say, line up in this game even. You've got Malassia playing left back too at the moment and, and Dallow's play, uh, playing right back. So Dallow, Maguire, Lindelof, Malassia, like pff, literally a brand new <laughs> brand new thing to everybody. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, Ten, Ten Hag has taken a sledgehammer to that left-sided axis. Um, or at least is, is planning on doing so maybe in the future if Malassia can usurp Shaw long term. But yeah. all change. And I guess if we if we all agree that Maguire gets the run at right centre back as the captain, I mean, where does Rafael Varane see himself in in two months? Because he is of a certain caliber, and if if he if he basically if it becomes clear to him that he's not first choice, you know, and I know they have a lot of games to play. Depth is important, but for him, I'd be like. What, I'm not first choice at a Europa League team. Sorry, yeah. I've won the Champions League four times in the World Cup. What what and what you know, what does that the knock-on effect there is very intriguing. Mm. Well, it's there is the kind of point that you make that he's injured right now. He actually did suffer with injuries a fair bit last year. And we talked about the fact that there were so many rings in his legs, right? He's mm. played a lot of football. You really do have to manage Varan. I think at this point, he is, you know, a player that needs to be managed properly if he is going to avoid getting injuries that are going to derail his season. And to do that, you need to have depth and rotation. So I do think there's an element here, especially with the amount of games that United are going to play. And I'm not going to knock them for having depth um, at, at this point. I think it's important for them to have quality when it when when things don't necessarily go to the first choice pairing and be able to drop down from that and we we would we would praise any other side for building a depth option there that has quality in it that can step up when 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 the things aren't quite right or you know if if Maguire does have a turn in form and you know Ten Hag decides he's going to do what other people didn't and take him out of the firing line for a little while and let him let him breathe so it is an interesting one now to see how, how it pans out, but I don't think that's a bad thing by any account. I've just no, seen something I've never seen before in my life, lads. Someone in the crowd has got a huge banner that says, Maguire, can I have your shirt? Wow. <laughs> well, apparently apparently he's getting booed quite a lot, is which it? is... Uh, well, not by this not lad. He's got, he's got a massive banner. Jack Butland's just got injured after like 10 minutes and he's off. So they're, they're like going through the crowd and this lad's got a massive Maguire shirt banner. So good. I want to see, I want to see Harry Maguire get a yeah, bit of love every support. now and then. This will, this will help his I think this is going to be position. I've got a funny feeling this season is going to be a big, long Harry Maguire redemption story. Yeah. So um, we so shall Jack, see. But. Jack, just to pick that back up, I mean, this is in, in no way is any of this a criticism of Man United. Yeah. But all of these scenarios I'm about to talk about, and, and we've obviously begun with this one, I look at and I and I and I think something's got to give, right? There's healthy depth, there's competition for places, and then there's a scenario like this where you might end up with someone like a World Cup winner not in the first team and not very happy. And you just get that inkling that while it's good for Man United, the people involved possibly aren't going to be that happy. And that's that's the scenario that we're we're headed to here at Man United. But just to round off the point, the fact that Eric Ten Hag is being so incredibly ruthless is incredibly welcome and must be must feel like a, a breath of fresh air at Man United. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I'd double agree with that. And I think there's a lot of Man United fans feeling the same. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to feel on a high when you're playing the way that they are in preseason and scoring a lot of goals and being a lot of fun to watch. I think is, you know, we always say yeah. this, don't take preseason too seriously, but you can learn things from it. Yeah. Um, and I think that... And you're allowed to enjoy it. Man United, yeah, exactly. What you're watching at Man United is, is enjoyable at the moment. They're, they're fun to watch under Ten Hag. And that's that's got to be a good thing. Maguire um, looks to totally fine as this right side of centre-back, by the way. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, only watched 15 minutes of this match but he looks completely comfortable like I i'm sure he does i don't yeah. see why he won't be like he's he's right-footed so it's like i don't i don't is, really understand it no, why it, sh- no, it's, it would likely it's, be a problem it Apart probably from positionally it, because you're looking at things from a different angle i guess and like the other side just, fullback it's just not that easy to just uh, click your fingers and switch over after all that time. And mm. we unfortunately, we had that issue with the England national team, didn't we, for a while where, you know, John Terry was on the other side and stuff like that. And, and yeah. it wasn't quite wasn't quite working in certain areas. So just an adjustment. But just, okay, right. you know, as I said, somewhere between five and eight years ago, Maguire was a right centre back. And here he is again for the first time in a long time. Yeah, sure. But yeah. I'll, I'll move on to number two. Um, it's Matthias de Ligt to Bayern Munich. To be honest, this transfer has floored me. I don't know about you guys, but Bayern dropping 80 million or so on another centre-back. Bayern dropping 80 million or so full stop is usually flooring me. That is not the Bayern way. 100%. Absolutely. This is madness. Um, Not madness. That's the wrong word, of course. But it's just, it's totally atypical. And De Ligt, by the way, making his second 80 million-ish move before the age of 23. (laughs) He's going to break the, uh, is is it Lukaku's record? Or is it it Zlatan's? I can't remember who has it. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Di Maria. (laughs) I mean, the way he moves, the way he moves for fees. But I mean, look, De Ligt, uh, you know, briefly on him I think he's been good at Juventus and probably better than a lot of people think I think he generally has played very well even when the team around him has kind of fallen apart but no doubt about it he has lost that kind of golden boy sheen and I think it's probably fair to say he hasn't kicked on to that kind of monster level that we may have expected him to do so back when he was named golden boy and, and ripping it up for, for Ajax at 18 and he does join a team at Bayern Munich that are pretty stacked for centre-backs. I know they lost Nicolas Sula, but again, not a move I expected a team like Bayern to make when they already have Pavard, they already have Upamecano, they already have Lucas Hernandez, which is about €150 million Euros worth of centre-back talent, plus Tongi Nianzu emerging. Obviously, Chris Richards is going to go, but there are four relatively, well, four, three senior and one emerging talented centre-backs there. So... I didn't expect this move to happen at all. And again, I look at this situation and go, surely, given that Bayern don't generally spend like this without some kind of return, and I know they've sold Lewandowski, but they did spend on Sadio Mane, surely there is a player here who ends up on the outside and possibly needs to leave. Because you can't keep Pavard, Upamecano, Lucas Hernandez and De Ligt happy. It's just not possible. They're all too good to be fourth in the pecking order so what happens well i suppose is the element of are they going to stay with the three at the back um which is a big question going forward obviously we saw that from nagelsman last year and he refused to use wing backs which is interesting but, um but now part of that was part of that was kind of through necessity i, I yeah. appreciate but i wonder if that's actually how he wants to play with three at the back in there and and, and maybe two. you know if you look at hernandez who we've always said it's probably better as a left centre-back 
and Pavard, who is sort of part right back, mm. um, and and played a lot there because they didn't want to play Kimmich in that place. Um, now, obviously, they've brought in Masraoui, so there's there's kind of options in in these areas now. But I do wonder if he's going to go three at the back with wing backs and the wings back wing backs being Masraoui and of course. Um, Alfonso Davis, but you you look at this and think, okay, if there's three at the back there and you're rotating between four and an emerging talent, fine. That's not actually awful. No, that's That's, fine. That's not too bad. If he goes back to two at the back, four at the back um, and two centre-backs, then I think this might end up being a slight problem. But if he does do that, does that shift Pavard back out to right back anyway? But then he'd be back up right back to Masrawi, which obviously mm. he wouldn't accept because he's been a, a really stellar part of a, of a team that's won it all recently. And yes, you're right. The flexibility is good. And Nagelsmann, you can't second guess him. You can't third guess him. Um, but he's surely going to play at least some of the season with a back four. And it probably leaves one of these players out in the wilds. And just to return to another key point, like Bayern don't spend this money without selling someone like this isn't really how they move this is what i think this is what what flawed me is that i'm i'm almost trying to find like the player that leaves because i feel like they wouldn't sanction this move unless one of them was going to go on and there have been murmurs of pavard not being particularly happy over the course of this season he doesn't want to play right back apparently wants to play center back now they brought in another center back and a right back mm-hmm. i mean chelsea there's a there have been murmurs that if Chelsea don't get Kimpembe, which is very feasible, um, then maybe they're going for Upa Meccano. Um So that's that's one thing, I guess, to look out for. So PSG will link with Lucas Hernandez. Um, and the tweet, I think it was Christian Falk, was like, uh, Hernandez is not available for a transfer. Um, so maybe it's Upa Meccano that would be open to, to leaving. Um I don't think that'd be the end of the world, to be honest. Like, obviously, it was a big deal when they signed him, but like, if you he yeah. hasn't kicked on, I think, in the way that a lot of people thought he was going exactly. to. But there definitely still is a player in there, oh, and there's definitely yeah. a player that's going to come but through. You could but probably get it was a bad year him. last year. Yeah, you could yeah, probably get by without him. Um, I don't. I don't think you should give up on him that early. That's the thing. Again, I look at this situation. I'm not saying Bayern have to sell a player, and I'm not saying this is a disaster for everybody. But something's going to give here, and someone, one of these players that we've just talked about, are named. Is gonna is gonna find out what exactly what their role is for the opening day of the season, and they're gonna be mega pissed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, you know, injuries, World yeah. Cup, lot of, lot of games this season, and a lot of players going to this World Cup, right? Who who are gonna need to be rotated if they're going to to make this work. So, again, depth options not a bad thing, but I completely agree with you in that it's it's gonna be very interesting to see how Nagelsmann sets this up in order to try and keep people happy. Now. We have seen, though, you know, some managers are brilliant at doing this. Pep Guardiola, Jürgen Klopp are absolute geniuses in so many ways. But one of the things they're best at is keeping a squad happy, even when they're not in the first team all the time. And we said about this about cities, you know, glorious riches in attack, this kind of over overwhelming, overflowing cup of attacking talent that is, you know, you rotated and there's a lot of players who spend time on the bench. You, pro- you would start for almost anyone else all the time. And Pep has been brilliant at making sure that that hasn't spilled over. It's going to be a question now to Nagelsmann. You know, if you are part of this next generation of brilliant managers who are going to come through and, and, and kind of take that mantle on, how do you do this? Because this is a massive part of it. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. But there is a there is a key difference you can pick out in terms of the profile of the players and the, 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 the stage of their careers. So Klopp and Pep are very, very clever at either picking up someone like, let's say, Nathan Ake, who knows he's back up. 
He's aware of that. Coming in, you are backup. You are a rotator. Fine. You accept that role from the off, we're clear. You look at Klopp, who picks up Konate. Konate is amazing. He's a really good player, but he's very early in his career. And it's been made very clear to him that he gets these games, but Matip gets the others. They're at different, they're at totally different stages of their career. So there's a very clear hierarchy. This is a bundle of players who all think they're the best centre-back in the team. And it makes it much more difficult to manage, I think. And Nagelsmann probably isn't as good a man-manager as Klopp or Pep because they're the best around. So it's fascinating, but very complicated, which is why it sticks out to me. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, look, depth is always going to be a question. And this season in particular, I think we're we're sitting here and going, how is this going to pan out, right? Mm. We've had, we're going to have one of the busiest seasons of all time. We're talking about player welfare a lot. We're talking about minutes. We're talking about managing players. And certain elements of this are, you know, all to do with this. And But I completely agree with you in that, how do you make sure that everyone's happy? These are the questions that determine what top managers are. Um, mm. and, and Nagelsmann has one hanging over his head right now. And, and in the same way that Eric Ten Hag does, and I would put them in a similar category here, right? You know, managers who we think are going to the top of the game, who we think are in this kind of next generation behind Pep and Klopp, who, who will rise to the, the very top of this game. And we're, we're looking at them now and going, all right, here's your chance. You've got to prove it. And, and so much of this is to do with what's what's kind of in front of them and, and making sure that their squads are happy and you know good places to be and that they can make sure that those winning vibes continue. Yeah, the Nagelsmann thing is just super interesting overall. He's a year into the job. He's now had several transfer windows. It looks like he's been given his players, doesn't it, over the last 12 months, three transfer windows. He's been given what he's asked for. He's changing a lot at Bayern. He's going to ride or die on some of these signings here. Masrawi feels very Nagelsmann. Upper Meccano was clearly him. Sabitzer was him. They're all, they're all. His, his fingerprints are all over this, and uh, he's he's under pressure to deliver. I think it's going to be a very very interesting season for them. But I'll take us on to number one, our final big question, and it's Barcelona related. And the question is very simple: What is the strongest attacking three? And I just. I mean, I'm just going to go through the names for everyone just because it's just outrageous uh, and preface it with the fact that not very many managers in the world in the history of football have had the luxury of working with and conducting an array of attacking talent like this. Usually you need 15 years on the job minimum to get to this point and even have a <laughs> chance. Chavis and he's like third year, fourth year, two of those we're over in the Middle East. So he now gets to work with Robert Lewandowski, complete number nine, arguably the world's best forward. Aubameyang, blistering speed, elite finishing. Ansu Fati, elite prospect, blistering speed, great finishing, great chemistry with his midfielders. Ferran Torres, a brilliant mover off the ball and improving in finishing. Rafinha, a devastating cut in and shoot but also wonderfully creative winger too. Dembele might be the most two-footed player in the sport. And he's a dribbling monster. And all of 2022, he's been an assist machine. And Memphis is a multifunctional attacker who links brilliantly and plays a variety of roles. So maybe, you know, maybe one or two leave. I didn't even mention Brathwaite. Sorry, Martin. Um, Maybe Memphis goes. Even if Memphis goes, though, it's six into three. The choices are incredible. Week one, Rio Vallecano at home. Who do you pick, Jack? I just want to know. I'm fascinated. 
It, well, obviously, fitness depending, and we don't know quite if Ansu is going to be fully fit for that. We first don't know game if they're all registered season. either. We don't know if they're all registered, but let's <laughs> they assume, they let's assume they are all registered. Is uh, are you going to chuck Ansu right back in at the deep end? I think the answer is no. Yeah. Um, I, I think they they don't do that. So I'd imagine the front three is probably Lewandowski through the middle, Abamyang off the left, um, and. Uh, probably Rafinha off the right, but maybe Dem- one of Rafinha or Dembele off off there. I think you can kind of <laughs> look. You can kind of look at this in, in in a couple of ways. You just said six into three, and I think you're probably absolutely spot on, right? I think it's one of Rafinha or Dembele on the left. I think you're looking actually at Aubameyang as a kind of left forward. You're going to think about is Re- Lewandowski or Ferran through the middle there, and then Aubameyang or Ansu off that left hand side. That's how I think it's going to pay, play out. Mm. Um, I think that's the way that that Xavi is going to play this. But obviously, Aubameyang can play through the middle and, and Ferran can play wide as well. So you can rotate those two two options. But two in every position here is, as you say, it's an abundance of riches, but it's good for Barcelona, especially considering that there have been serious injuries to Ansu, trying not to overwork him and overpush him in, in these positions. I know Gavi can play further forward as well, but I think Xavi probably sees him fundamentally as part of his midfield at this point. Um, so so I do think that as that works, we saw Aubameyang and Lewandowski play together in 13-14 at Dortmund, right? And it was that mid that kind of lineup of God. Lewandowski, Aubameyang and Royce, right? If you can fit those three into a team together, you can fit anyone into a team together. And oh, I'm interested sure. to see what happens here because actually... And we said this before, you know, Aubameyang came in at Barcelona, played through the middle and did really, really well and, and was excellent for long parts of last season in that second half. Um, but actually, when you look back at where he played for Arsenal and actually where he was best, it was a lot off the left-hand side. You know, cutting in there and, and being able to score that goal that he basically perfected in that cutting in onto his right-hand, foot, right-hand side and, and kind of curling one into the far corner. If he can rebuild that relationship with Lewandowski. Now, obviously, they went from teammates to rivals and they had, you know, those couple of seasons where they were the two top scorers in the Bundesliga going at each other, you know, time and time again. But if they can rekindle that relationship that they had at Dortmund, I think that must be a benefit for Barcelona rather than anything else. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm just marvelling at the different profiles of attackers they've accrued. They've got something for everything, any scenario. And, you know, it it really does lead you down the path of, and we've been down there before, but, you know, Xavi emulating Pep Guardiola in so many different ways, not just tactically on the pitch, but also these are the kinds of attacking profiles that Pep accumulates so that he has a, a solve, a fix for just about everything that anyone ever throws at him. He's like, oh, I need to maintain my width. Okay, I'm going to stick Rafinha and have him on the receive on the right-hand touchline. Oh, I need a dribbler. Okay, Dembele, let loose in the box. Let's go. I need combination play. Memphis, you're coming on. You're going to play off uh, Lewandowski in tight spots. He has... I can't think of a profile that Barcelona are missing up front now. And it just, it just means that on a week-to-week basis, Xavi gets the luxury of analysing his opponent, analysing their defence and going, right, here's what will kill you. And then fielding that team. And as long as everybody here is on board with that, then they're going to have... A, a wild amount of success because this this type of attacking firepower does not fail. Well, I think this is it. We've got a, we've got a problem here, but only if you play fantasy La Liga. Uh, <laughs> because you've seen Pep Roulette. Here comes Javi Roulette, yeah. and then we'll see although, how this although, pans although out. Although surely Lewandowski is uh, is relatively safe. You'd assume so. You would assume so, but you know, stranger yes, things have happened. Yes, he is. Happened. Stop it. Stop. No. No. 
I, I've seen Pep make some very strange decisions. Um, not necessarily bad ones, just ones that people weren't expecting. Um, and obviously, Xavi is, is raised in the Pep mold. So we shall see. Um, but look, I think we could just probably talk a little bit more about Lewandowski because this is the first episode we've had since that transfer has fully gone through. And there was an element, I think, in the Barcelona social media reveal of this, you know, where it was all just like, it's true. It's not a dream. And I think that's kind of where we'd been with this transfer all summer in that, you know, obviously, Dean, I remember you talking about this well back in sort of March time, um, talking about the fact that Lewandowski wanted a new challenge and that he thought that Barcelona was the best place for him to go and achieve that. Um, But also you kind of look at where where this kind of leads and um, it, it kind of went are really high and everyone was like, right, it's done. It's nearly there. And then it went cold again. And then it suddenly came back onto the scene and it went through really fast after it it kind of broke that it was going to happen. And by the weekend, we were seeing pictures of Lewandowski on a beach in a Barcelona jacket. Um, This is a move that he's wanted and it's finally gone through. It's incredibly exciting for Barcelona. It's also incredibly exciting for El Clasico because we're now going to watch Lewandowski and Benzema go head to head. And look, there's plenty of questions about Barcelona's finances. And although Swiss Rambles released a really, really good thread this morning about how kind of it uh, gives us a little bit more enlightenment to how, how that all works. Um, and whatever you feel about that, the idea of Lewandowski and Benzema going head to head in a Classico is enthralling. That is absolutely tantalizing. Yeah, it's nice to have some interest in that game again. Like if you think back to that time when after it was the like first one post Messi and Ronaldo, and it was like, oh, what do we get excited about? Uh, and it was all it's still, it's still the Classico, Dino. No, I know, but like from that's the Classico has been full of actual like global superstars, and they weren't there, and now they are. Now that they're all back, like um, you know, for, for Madrid, you've got you know Vinicius, Benzema. Hazard if he's born again, and then at Barcelona you've you've got well you've just named all of them there, um, and the depth is there and it's exciting again. Um, it's an interesting one. Like I think from a Barcelona point of view, you've just finally you've now got that guy again that can match what Benzema's doing, and that's probably what you've missed since Messi's been gone. Um, you haven't got the go-to guy for goals, um, and and now you have, and as a result, oh, a Barcelona favourites to win the league. They might be. They might be. They might they might know. have the edge. Real Madrid are reigning European and Spanish champions. I think right now they probably Oh yeah, you do really rated the their European run, didn't you? You were a big fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta res- you gotta respect the- I do, you, you didn't. The- I did. No, Jack's no, respecting think- it right now. <laughs> I think that I, In I think hindsight, they went against- I thought their season was great. <laughs> no, they went against the odds. They 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 went and they did things that no one expected. They were, you know, outsiders, let's be honest, when there was eight teams left in this competition. Um, and they beat the odds every single round, apart from maybe the Chelsea game, because they were slightly all over the place at that point. But you, you had them as outsiders no, and would, and against that's fine. PSG. In the you have league, them I think it changes. Liverpool, you have them outsiders against Man City. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. And in the league, I think um, it changes now. I think that that's the problem. I think, like, the, the league is a different animal, isn't it? And I think that that's, there wasn't really much competition to win La Liga last season and, and that's why they were able to clinch it with relative ease and, and that won't be the case this season. No, so I think that's go, if you look at the table from last season, I don't think it's a fair reflection of like obviously where Barcelona ended up halfway through the season and you, yeah. you look at the points gap between the two teams from when Xavi took over and I believe the difference was five. Mm. 
which like yeah. isn't very many points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Madrid have done obviously very little in terms of upgrading their starting eleven over the course of the summer, apart from perhaps Rudiger, although their defence was so solid anyway. Barca have just been piling on the signing. So the big question is, and we don't have to answer it right now, is is what Barcelona have done enough to scrape five points off Real Madrid? Answer is probably yes in terms of a title, like a genuine title race, but exactly how it pans out, we're yet to see. Mm. Well, I think that this is the exciting thing, right? It looks like from kind of where we are standing right now, there is going to be a title race and a, a good title race in La Liga. And yeah. and I think that that's important. We all you know, kind of fell in love with Serie A's title race last season because of how exciting it was, because there were the movers and shakers in it throughout the thing, because there was this rivalry between the two Milan clubs at the top. You know, it made it intriguing from kind of day dot. And I think we're going to see something similar. You know, La Liga last year not only had, you know, a little bit of a dearth of goals to begin with and, and, and started very slowly, mm. but also the fact that Barcelona was so far off the pace and no one else really lived up. Well, I'm talking about Atleti. Atleti just didn't live up to their preseason expectations. Meant that it kind of was a one-horse race. Now, Sevilla were in the mix for a little while, then they dropped off and they weren't able to kind of force things home. Um, you saw similar kind of vibes with that Barcelona comeback. It was always going to be too much to rein Madrid in from where they started. Um, so you're looking at this thinking, okay, this the the intrigue in, in, in La Liga last season was at the bottom of the table and in those European places. That's where, and, and that's fine. That's not to suggest that that's not important, but with a title race, everything gets a little bit livelier, I think, in, in genuine truth and, and how we're looking at this kind of objectively title races make things more exciting and so I think it's a good thing for La Liga and I'm sure that there's part of this is is, is a thinking behind all of this that it keeps the league exciting and it makes people want to watch it on a regular basis now last season a lot of people who previously would have said I watch a fair amount of La Liga switched to Serie A and we're like, well, there's more, there's more intrigue and there's more things going on in Serie A than there is in La Liga. So therefore, it's something that I'm going to pay more attention to. And I think to wrestle those people back, you need to have intrigue at kind of all levels of the league. And I think this is what Barcelona are bringing to the table. Look, we've seen Atleti last season bringing a load of signings in the summer. We all went, right, this makes loads of sense. Atleti are probably favourites. Here we are in terms of what we want. Atleti will not have liked that mantle. Simeone in particular will not have liked that mantle. This year, they're back in what you would call their spot in third. You know, who they are third favourites. They will be underdogs again. Simeone is quietly going about reshaping a little bit of this squad. And they will relish that position to be able to try and topple the Giants from their kind of safe zone, if you will, their happy yeah. place of being <laughs> underdogs. They, their happy place, they weren't in their happy place last year because pretty much everyone had them as title favourites. And I think that makes it incredibly interesting as well because you're suddenly putting teams in this mixer that you're thinking, okay, Right, you're now in a spot that you want to strike from. How do you affect the title race as well? And, you know, you look back at Sevilla, who are probably the second strongest team in the first half of last season in the league. And you go, OK, you've got to fight on to even get back into the Champions League with the strengths of other sides around you. That's cool. And it means that people are punching from their places of relative interest and therefore, I think, makes for a better spectacle mm. across the course of this league yeah i think that's fair it's amazing amazing actually because over overall in the liga take out the you know the big two um that actually really hasn't been very much money spent um finances have clearly been hit across the board covid mm. obviously related la liga transfers they're just not really happening except up top but what the top two have done is enough to reshuffle like about half the table 
and 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 what they've done has ramifications all the way down to seventh and eighth. So uh, Tebas will be delighted, won't he, Javier Tebas? Because uh, the, the big two are going at it. They're, they're making the headlines. They're signing the star players of the world, exactly, and yeah. they're making the whole league more competitive as a result. Mm, definitely. Yeah, that's. I'm going to round this off by just going back to Man United because, like, watching this game, it's, it's actually been like, it's actually been like. So telling, like how much more purpose and intent there is now under Ten Hag. Every single pass has like a meaning behind it and like an, a purpose. They're, they're actually aiming towards something. And this has been so lost on Man United in the last couple of years. And you see, like even a minute ago, McTominay got towards the byline and, and like usually he would have just sent that ball into the box. And you could see he kind of wanted to and he thought twice about what the repercussions of that might be. Cut back on the outside of his foot and played a pass and United built again. And it's it's so telling that this team are actually being coached properly into a way of playing. And I think it's going to be exciting for United to see how this actually shapes up ahead of next season. Two other things to update you on. Yes, Maguire is getting booed and people are very annoyed about it. Um, and secondly, Martial has scored again and it was a very well-taken goal. So, um, yeah, it- Redemption it looks season. Like, um, yeah, redemption season's all round at Manchester United. Mad what you can do if you put some proper coaching in, isn't it? Um, it's absolutely yeah. insane. It was interesting too. It was yeah. the, the goal came from Malassia on, on one side, uh, flicking the ball over to um, Dallow on the other side of the box, and then he teed up Marcia. Like I can't remember the last time, if ever in the last ten, five years, May United's fullbacks combined to set up a goal. Like I don't, I don't know if they've even spoken to each other in the last five years. So that's great. That's, <laughs> that's kind of stuff's great to see. Well, regular listeners of this pod will know that Sam and I love a fullback to fullback combination <laughs> more than pretty much anything in the entire world. So that, that's good. It's nice to see. Nice to see that one paying off. Yeah. Um, right. Thank you very much, Sam. That was excellent. There are three big questions. Manchester United, Bayern Munich and Barcelona. They, You could have picked you know, very, very difficult to pick three bigger teams, really, in, in so many ways, especially since you wrapped in uh, Real Madrid into the mix as well. Mm. So a lot mm. to look at across the board in Europe and um, yeah, a lot to be excited about for next season, I think. Right after the break, we've got Melon of the Week and a very different gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Darwin Nunez, the meme oh, machine. No. no, no, I'm being harsh on people this season. Sod it. I'm going for him. <laughs> I'm going after to... people this season. I'm going after him. I'm sorry. I cannot avoid this one. The guy is at an absolute nightmare start at Liverpool. And I'm afraid as a result, he's fallen into melon territory. So let's just sum it up, shall we? He came on in the game against United and missed an absolute sitter. And that was the start for him. And I felt sorry for him. But I thought, I'm sure I'll overcome it. Um, Then he played against Crystal Palace. He had a mare against Crystal Palace. Honestly, so far he's looked like Andy Carroll when he played for Liverpool. There are missed kicks. Like, he's literally missing the ball. Um, There are misplaced layoffs. He's not in the Liverpool groove, put it that way. Uh, There's... In the hours before we begun recording this, and this is actually what, what convinced me to go with it, there was a, another pattern of play video that emerged of, of Liverpool in training, open training. So someone's filming it from the stand. And Liverpool craft this move together, goes from Trent on one side, got, floats through the midfield, builds over to the other flank, breaks down the left flank. Darwin breaks through the middle, the ball comes across. 
Where do you think he sticks it? Of course, he sticks it well, well, well over the bar. This man, if he'd have just connected cleanly, it was on target. He's, he gets underneath it again. Everything he hits goes into the sky. The crowd collectively groaned, right? It, it was pretty telling. Like the rea- the crowd reaction was was pretty telling. Um, yeah, I've you have to wonder if this is getting to him. Um, the problem is, right, the reason it's Melanish is because a transfer of this size, rightly or wrongly, is going to be scrutinised. Um, and at the moment, Liverpool fans want him to become the next Sadio Mane and he, he's miles off it. I'll tell you what, at the moment, the way he's playing, I want him to start against Fulham on the first day of the season. That's how bad he's looking right now in this Liverpool team. Can't and that is wait why. for someone to clip that up. That uh, you've, just, you've just invited so you much. You don't want him to score when he scores Fulham. a hat. When, no, mate, I know. Mate, That's what I mean. I know. Fulham. At this rate, yeah, we lost, we lost five one to his old team yesterday. Rate, and that was without him. At this rate, he won't be playing. I don't think. Um, but yeah, he's Melon of the week because he's he's just he's just not good enough at the moment. I mean, it's been it's been a tough start for Nunez, unfortunately. Um, obviously, preseason people do go into overdrive, so you know Dean is Dean is tongue in cheek. Um, but you know, just 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 spare a thought for young Darwin, who in the early two thousands was growing up in his place of birth, Artigas, Uruguay, and was probably praying and hoping and dreaming of, of making a blockbuster move to the Premier League to fulfil his dream of playing football at the top level. And on upon arrival to England, less than a month in, He's he hasn't been given week. anything other than a melon by Dean Jones. It's tough. It's been a tough, it's tough summer. Top. The good yeah, news is he's really on a five-year contract. He's got five years to turn it around. He's I got feel like it's, I feel like it's going to be fine. For He's Darwin. got Klopp as his manager. It doesn't mean he doesn't get Melon of the Week, though, does it? You can't. I can't. No, no, I can't just fine. feel sorry for people and not give them these awards. And I think that's what I've done too many times in the past. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get hard on people this season. Are you now? Mm, right. So. Okay. Well, an, an interesting development for Ranks FC here. Stay tuned for more. Um, and with that. That's a gibberish alarm. Sam, you're going to set this up for us because things are a little bit different in the world of gibberish this week. Yeah, it's a, it's a little different. Uh, we want to, I wanted to broach a question that we received on our Monday postbox on Patreon, which actually had originated on our Discord. So anybody who's a, a patron of ours obviously gets access to a Discord. It's a, it's a great little community. Lots of, uh, lots of fun and interesting people on there. And they were having a big discussion about three music albums you would pick if you could only have three for the rest of your life this uh this question made it onto the post box but we thought we'd delay it and then we'd uh we, we'd make it into into the final section of one of our podcasts so here we are so i mean i've almost turned question here it was originally from jorge it was put onto the post post box by lucas so shouts out both of you but i'm now asking the question jack collins you can only pick three albums to listen to for the rest of your life. What is your thought process and which albums do you choose? Well, I think you need it to be mixed up a bit, right? You don't want three of the same type of genre if you've only got three for the rest of your life. You need 100% you know, some, some, agree. You need, you need to change things up. Um, I'm going to pick a dancey album, a guitar album, and a hip hop soul album, I think, is probably how mm. I'm going to go. Um, so, and they're all actually from the 90s. That's, that's also what I'm going to do here. I'm going to stick the to the old guns. Um, I would pick, if I had three albums for the rest of my life, I would pick Primal Scream, Screamadelica, um, which I think is one of the all-time great dance albums, um, but also has you know a, a fluctuating bit of genre in there. There's some slower songs, there's some some party songs. You could you could get through that with with just this, I think. Um, if it was one, I probably would just pick this. I think so. That that would mm. be my my first one. I'd pick the Stone Roses 
the Stone Roses, their first album, um, which I think is one of the most perfect pieces of work put together. And my third one would be The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm, interesting. Lauren Hill. Mm. Um, I think that's that's where I'd go with it. They, they're the three that I think would give me the biggest mix, um, three of my favorite albums of all time, three albums that I own on vinyl. Um, so that probably probably helps. Yeah. Um, but you yeah, already own that, them. You don't have to buy them. Perfect. Exactly. That, <laughs> that, would give, that would give me, I think, the the full works of, of, of things I needed. I did. I, I am sad to leave out Enya's Watermark, which I absolutely adore. Um, and it's my album for, for helping me go to sleep and like calming down and stuff. But I feel like it's probably a little bit just outside of these three. So yeah, they're the three. Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill, Stone Roses by Stone Roses, and Screamadelica by Primal Scream. So I did a very similar thing in terms of the spectrum and the split. I took a dance music album, a rock music guitar album, and a hip-hop album, and I narrowly left out a kind of acoustic or slower classical one as well. I did exactly the same thing. My dance album is Hot Natured, Different Sides of the Sun, which I will never, ever, ever tire of. Um, my guitar or rock album, I took Linkin Park Meteora, which is one of the only albums I've got, which is a no skips. I absolutely refuse to skip any of those tracks. That surely bodes well if I have to listen to it for the rest of my life. And then for hip hop, I would, I was going to, I had to pick one of Kid Cudi's albums, which is never easy. Uh, but I took Man on the Moon three. I knew you would take that. Well, that, that's, that's one that I absolutely would have put my house on. Yeah, um, good. So well, you good. still own your house. Good, good that's for good. you. Great stuff. Um, and three albums. Yeah. And three albums. Yeah. And um, and I, I narrowly left out Above and Beyond Acoustic, nice. which very, would be which which is my calming down music as well. But fair enough. Yeah. Very good. Right, fair Dean. Enough. What you got? Well. Have to be Oasis because um, Oasis actually got me into music to be honest. So in like the nineties was obviously vibes, and Oasis set the tone for Britpop and stuff. So um, it was actually what's a stormy morning glory that got me into music, but um, I prefer definitely maybe. So I'm taking definitely maybe. I think that's also the right. <laughs> oh, I don't agree, but okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, definitely maybe is unreal. Um, Standing on the shoulders of giants. Someone just really like mixing it up. <laughs> um, the second album, Stone Roses, original, 1989. Yep, yep, that's there for me too. Um, Two votes. Once I'd got into like Oasis and stuff, you delve a bit deeper and you're like, oh, this is the band that clearly sparked all this. Um, so yeah, Adored, Waterfall, Made of Stone, all that sort of stuff. Also reminds me of football, Stone Roses. There's obviously that that link. So and probably going to United Games with my dad and stuff. So Stone Roses has to be there. And then the third one has to be a bit of a change of pace. Um, so I was thinking, like, what gets me a bit more mellow, a bit more deep thinking, a bit of storytelling in there too for when I'm I feeling a bit different. I'd probably go with Elbow, to be honest. Like, hmm. seen, him, seen him live a few times, and Guy Garvey is absolutely ridiculous. Like, his voice is absolutely unreal, and the way that he can change emotions in a crowd is is crazy and then their albums can too i i like all of their albums i'd probably just go with seldom seen kid just because it was like the scene setter really is the is the one you have to begin with um and there are some ridiculous songs on there that they could get you by for the rest of your life so yeah go elbow yeah, nice, nice. I like that. Guy Garvey and Elbow set at Glastonbury was absolutely spectacular. Oh yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, so, it? yeah, absolutely unreal. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of unlucky to miss out here. I really wanted to stick in "Everything Is Borrowed" by the Streets, which yeah, I, yeah, is yeah, probably it's yeah, yeah. one of their most underrated oh albums. God. But it's a real chiller, um, yeah. and I really, really like that it. That would drive me um, absolutely insane. 
what not being able to listen to the streets yeah, no would having to listen to the streets <laughs> the streets are the, the streets are the greatest I hate them. Skinner is the modern day shakespeare genuinely um, hate them well, there you go. No, we, we wouldn't be having that in a ranks FC party. What we will be having is the Stone Roses, which is yeah. Uh, Stone Roses have basically won now. the ranking. Yeah, yeah, they've won actually the officially become uh, become become that album now is the is the ranks FC anthem. Yay. So here we go. Um, what a day! What How a much day of the rights? One involved. Yeah, we'll just buy them. I reckon. Um, <laughs> see, let's see what happens there. Uh, New thing too. I think that's it's probably time to call it a day. What a question though! Really good stuff from the Discord. Uh, if you do fancy joining us over on Patreon, we have. You get eight extra episodes a month. You get access to the Discord, um, all for about the price of a pint. So we'd love to see you over there. Uh, for more bits, you get to ask your questions on a Monday for the post box and on a Friday or a Thursday at the moment, to be honest. We're just talking notebook, spotlight. We're talking about pre-seasons and transfers and all sort of bits and bobs in that kind of vein. So we'd love to have you over there if you fancy joining us. Um, and all that's left for me to do here is to say thank you very much to Sam Ty. Thanks, buddy. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Thank you, mate. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you all for listening as ever. We really do appreciate it. We will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.